0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am Kieran mulvaney uh we are recording this on sunday july 4th um eric i don't know what you're planning to do this holiday weekend uh personally uh, before we get to grilling veggie burgers, watching Formula One racing and soccer and other traditional American activities. Uh, I was thinking of mowing my backyard, but, um, well, it's a little cold and rainy. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure I can summon up the courage after the Rabbit Burger Hill incident <laughs> of the other week. Uh, but when, when I was like unloading myself, you know, unburdening myself to you the other week, you pointed out that soon you will be, you know, in a situation where you're going to have to mow your yard. And here we are. You've moved house. You now have grass to mow. So have you had any grisly wildlife encounters with you as you push your new mower around your lawn? <laughs> uh, no, no no decapitations here in the
1: peaceful ah. suburbs of Pennsylvania, I'm happy to report. You <laughs> uh, no, said with my new mower. Um, I did not actually buy a mower. I was ah. planning Are to you... buy a scissors. mower. <laughs> with scissors, yes. That would take a while. Um, I was planning to buy a mower. But this whole time that I've been talking about wanting to buy a mower and mow my own lawn – My wife has been like, Really? Are you sure you want to do that? Almost everyone we know hires people to do it. And I'm like, No, it'll be great. The lawn isn't that big. It'll take me like 30 to 45 minutes. I'll put in my headphones, listen to podcasts, get a little light exercise, save us some money. It's a great little activity for me. But she convinced me before we buy a mower, we have a friend who has a mower. Let's borrow it and mow once and see how it goes. So I mowed the lawn on Saturday. And about halfway through, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to finish this job today. And then never again, we're hiring somebody. That's how washed I am, Kieran. I'm,
0: yeah.
1: oh my God, mowing the lawn was grueling years old. Uh, my, my thighs and forearms and shoulders were all burning. I had sweat stinging my eyes and it wasn't even that hot. Uh, I, I was a mess. Um, uh-huh. there, there are some slight hills in my backyard and uh, getting the mower up and down the hills and turning some of the tight corners It was really sad. Um, I I got through it. But, uh, you know, someone quoted us 35 bucks to mow the lawn. Okay, done. Uh, So I don't know if your lawn is any flatter or has fewer turns or if your mower is more self-powered than this one. I don't know. But I I now respect that you mow your own lawn. I have proven too washed for even this most basic form (laughs) of manual labor.
0: Yeah, I do. I'm. I am not pro grass. It must be said. And the more, and like, like I mentioned before, I do like to let half of it go completely wild. And the more that I can replace grass with bushes and trees and mm. whatnot, the better. There is like this patch to the side of my house that I never use. The only time I see it is to mow it during the summer and this offends me basically so yeah some kind of change has to be done basically getting rid of grass it's it is it is a pointless exercise even when you're not decapitating rabbits
1: right that takes it beyond pointless to da- that it, go- it goes from sort. it goes from sort of a you know neither positive nor negative activity just something you have to get done you're fully in the negative when you're cutting off rabbit's yeah. heads
0: yeah you know? right when it's giving you nightmares indeed yes. all right uh coming up on the show we have plenty of news to discuss actually including the abandonment of the planned Donito Daner john real casimero bout and the latest surrounding the errol spence manny pacquiao legal controversy uh i will reveal my response to eric's top five challenge from last week as i count down my favorite examples of aged underdogs overcoming young favorites uh we will talk with junior lightweight contender chris colbert following his win over tukstad mayambayar on showtime on saturday night but first let's break down that two fight card on showtime championship boxing highlighted by colbert jabbing his way to a unanimous decision winning over king to to move to 16 and 0 with six ko's and drop mayambayar to 12 and 2 with nine ko's scores were 117 111 and 118 110 twice. Eric, how did you score it? What did you think of Colbert's performance?
1: So I had it 118 110. Uh, the only rounds I gave Tug were the third, which he won clearly, uh, and mm-hmm. the 12th, which was close, <laughs> but Nyambayar was coming forward and Colbert was mostly running out the clock. So kind of a sympathy call. I edged that one gotcha. to Tug. Um, it, w- it was more or less the fight we both predicted. Uh, King Tug came to fight, did the best he could, wasn't not competitive, but he wasn't quite competitive either. Right. Ultimately, he just didn't have the speed or the tools to keep up, especially after about three rounds when Colbert realized, "Oh, I need to just keep jabbing, and there's going to be almost nothing Bayar can do to me." um I tell you, I came away from this fight wondering if Chris Colbert might have the best jab right now in mm. all of boxing. Uh, now I realize he needs to be this effective with it against the higher grade of opposition before I can really make a declaration like that. But that's how sharp and straight and fast and accurate his left jab was in this fight. Um, other notes on Colbert's performance. I like that he didn't switch stances a lot, uh, in mm-hmm. the second round, Nyambiar caught him with a nice right hand as he was trying to switch and seemed like Colbert just said, okay, you know what? Orthodox is working. Let's, let's stick with that. Um, You know, he seems able to adjust and react and use his ring IQ and make good in-fight decisions like that. Uh, There might be some discussion about whether Colbert tried hard enough for the knockout. Um, This strikes me as the kind of fight where I won't knock him for not fully opening up. Um, First of all, it's not like the fight was boring. Um, It did lack drama the last several rounds, but it wasn't boring. He wasn't failing to deliver for the crowd. He wasn't getting booed. And against this particular opponent... The only way Colbert loses is if he gets reckless and gets tagged. Yep. Um. And, and and on top of that, he did try a few things. He tried in the seventh round to engage and see if Nyambar would open himself up so Colbert could maybe knock him out. The next round, he fought with his hands down. None of it was working. Uh, Nyambar couldn't be goaded into really letting his hands go, so Colbert never totally let his own go. But he did let him go well enough. He was two punches shy of throwing twice as many as Tug. He landed almost three times as many as Tug. This was a strong performance. I'd probably give him something like an A-grade. minus um, How about you, Kieran? How, how did you see the fight? Where do you see Colbert within the 130-pound division right now? And who would you like to see him fight next?
0: Yeah, I also saw it as 118-110. Uh, also gave him the third. I think the other one was the ninth that I gave him. I can't remember. Uh, Tug... Um, You know, and and I thought it was one of those contests that highlighted some of the best of Colbert, but still gave us a little glimpse of some of the less than best. Um, Look, the best is that he beat Tug Nyambayar, 118-110, or thereabouts, and that's as comprehensively as Gary Russell Jr. beat him. Um, And outside, really, like you said, the only clear round he lost was the third, when he did get tagged a little Mm -hmm. bit. And and apart from that, he was never really... Like you said, even though Nyambayar was coming forward and and was working and, and... Few of the rounds were blowouts. Nonetheless, you never felt that Colbert was really under any kind of pressure. And to dominate a pretty decent contender like that, I think, shows that he's legitimately real quality. He looked very relaxed at all times, which I thought was excellent. And he basically bamboozled Tug. Um, Yeah, Nyambia was taking the fight on short notice. But as we discussed last week, Colbert was facing a very different kind of opponent. For, from the one for whom he'd been preparing during fight camp as well um a couple of notes i made if you wanted to pick nits, the same kind of stuff that you talked about um we had talked about perhaps expecting him to start sitting down a bit more on his punches and he sort of toyed with that a bit but didn't really commit to that but to be fair given the kind of opponent and you talked about this that Niam bayar is Probably the approach he took was the right one hmm. um, to absolutely be the boxer and the mover here. That was absolutely the sensible strategy. He can get caught. And like you said, I also made note that a couple of times in transition is when from from orthodox to lefty is when he can get caught. He's a bit sloppy about that. And he will need to watch that if he wants to try and pull that off against better and tougher opposition. But I think he will. He, you know what? Watching Colbert the other night, he strikes me as the kind of guy who I think he will get better as he faces better opposition. You know, some people are a bit like that. Um, And without being disrespectful to the people he's facing now, it almost feels like he's sort of cruising through this level a little bit. Um, And yeah, I'm sure he still has some rough edges to smooth out. We want to see how he reacts in certain situations. But on the other hand, I think he has so much ability but I don't want to see him waste his time too much with overly incremental progress here uh, as he goes up the ladder. I actually wouldn't mind. I thought about this when I was watching this fight. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him still go up against the guy he was supposed to face uh, until injury, Yuri is gamboa because Gamboa just provides a very different look. Right. And at least in bursts, he's fast enough and he's experienced enough that Colbert would have to be on his game and he, he wouldn't get away with any of the overly loosey goosey hands down kind of stuff that he sometimes can be guilty of when he gets a bit too relaxed in there. So that'd be interesting. And then maybe after that, I don't know, maybe, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him up against like a really good experienced, tough opponent like a Rene Alvarado, who I think he's better than, but who nonetheless, you know, will ask some real questions of him. Um and if he gets through those kind of people, then I think we're looking at him being a legitimate contender, looking at a title shot down the road.
1: Yeah, the one name that you didn't mention that is really on my, on my mind for him, That, but probably part of the reason you didn't mention it is it's totally unrealistic for now and doesn't make sense until a couple of years from now if they both keep winning. But I'm already thinking about what does Chris Colbert versus Shakur Stevenson oh, eventually look like. Yes. That That could be the
0: super fight two or more years from now, I would say. Absolutely. And it would be an enthralling one as well and yeah. exciting. And one of those things where you couldn't blink, it would be one of those fights where you've got two guys who are doing, who are making each other miss quite a bit, but it's not boring in any moment. I think right. actually, I think that would be a fantastic fight. But like you said, that's down the road. Yeah. Um, in the co-main, Michelle Rivera survived the first knockdown of his career to bounce back and stop John Fernandez, uh, an entertaining contest um, and coming to a sudden end in the eighth round when Rivera right hand landed behind Fernandez's ears, sending the Spaniard crash into his face. Uh, Fernandez tried to get up, immediately rolled over to, onto his back and referee Jack Reese called off the contest with 42 seconds elapsed in the round. Uh, Fernandez drops to 21-2 and with 18 KOs, while Rivera remains unbeaten. 21-0 with 14 KOs. Uh, Eric, as we talked about last week, Rivera styles himself as the reincarnation of Muhammad Ali, and he was really going for it, uh, wearing <laughs> the Ali trunks and and explicitly mentioning it to Jim Gray afterwards. Um, but I mentioned to you during the ring introductions that, if anything, I thought he looked a little bit like Julian Jackson, and uh, that was a bit of a Jackson-esque right hand to finish things, I thought.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. Um, someone else tweeted me the Jackson comp. Um with the flat top, which which yeah, I guess he's good. growing to try it to look like young Ali, um, but but that's Julian Jackson's flat top he's got there, uh, and and it's also reminiscent of the young Tito Trinidad, who I said mm. I thought he looked like last week. Um, to me, he's right in between Jackson and Trinidad in in his look. I still don't see much Ali as hard as he tries. Um, And by the way, how can you be the reincarnation of Ali if Ali was still alive when you were born? Let's let's follow the rules of reincarnation a little bit here. Um, In any case, this was a fun fight, as we expected it would be. Good pace, very little clinching, very little time spent on the ropes, two punchers, and both got to show off their power, but ultimately the better all-around fighter won. It was close early, and then... In rounds four and five, Rivera was starting to pull away. Uh, He had everything going his way until all of a sudden, boom, that chopping right hand from Fernandez put him down. And I don't know about you, but it it looked like a slip to my eyes in real time. Just the way his foot came out from under him, I thought it must have been a slip. But you could see on the replay, it was Mm -hmm. very much not a slip at all. Um, But by the next round, Rivera was back in control. I liked his jab, his body work, his Mm -hmm. combination punching. The right hand is clearly his money punch, and what a shot. Uh, you, you said behind the ear. It looked to me like it landed right on the ear, but, you know, not relevant. Same outcome either way. Uh, and then Rivera called out Ryan Garcia. Uh, hey, join the club, pal. Um, <laughs> I like Rivera. He doesn't strike yes. me as an A-list blue-chip prospect. Um, Like, I I don't know that he's replacing one of the four princes, trademark here in Mulvaney, all rights reserved, um, but he adds some interesting depth to this exceptional group of 25 and under lightweights.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, he comes across as an extremely likable guy as well, Mm -hmm. as well as very charismatic. And I love the fact that he's trying really hard to learn English and was determined to do that interview in English. (laughs) I I thought he I thought he looked good. You know, he wasn't quite at the races early. Like you said, it took him a little while to settle down. His trainer had to shout at him a little bit to get him going. Um, But yes, like you said, once he got going, he looked good. Um, you, You know, his as we talked about and, and as you just mentioned his overhand right is is clearly that his big weapon it's his go to punch uh, but it, but I thought it worked particularly well this time because I thought he did you know to follow on from your point I thought his, his punch selection was better and a bit more varied than I've seen in some of the videos I'd watched of him before this where he seemed to be overly right hand happy yeah. um and As we also talked about, even though he throws that right hand a lot, he's obviously very good at disguising it and disguising the timing of it, which is how he was able to pull off that KO. It wasn't just an accidental one. He was waiting for Fernandez to kind of lean in like that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So believe it or not, I believe this was actually an eliminator for an alphabet belt. But the particular alphabet body has a super champion, a regular champion, and an interim champion. <laughs> I think uh, I know which alphabet body you're talking yeah. about. Yep, still not going to mention them. <laughs> um, so from what I can deduce, it seems most likely that Rivera might be next in line to face the interim belt holder, who's Raleigh Romero. Um, but Romero will first be fighting on the July 17th Showtime right. Championship Boxing Card. We'll need to come through that. But I like that fight. If that happens, I would mm-hmm. not mind seeing that fight. I think that will be quite entertaining. Uh, I think, you know, Romero has generally been considered to have a higher upside, but we've seen maybe there may be some limits to his ceiling. I think that could be a fun fight.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure if he has the higher upside. That's, it's a, that's a pretty close uh, yeah. call. And yeah. um, just the number of young fighters in and around 135 pounds that have us intrigued. It's uh, it's it's startling. And uh, so there, there could be great action in this weight class or weight range, at least for years to come. So uh, we had some movement in the standings of our picks competition. Uh, We both predicted that Chris Colbert would win by unanimous decision, which he did. So we both get the maximum three points for that one. Uh, But whereas you picked Rivera by decision, I said he'd win by knockout in the 10th. He won by knockout in the 8th. So that's two points for me and just one for you, which means that halfway through the year, I lead 44 points to 43 uh congratulations kieran on having me right where you want me
0: i love it when a plan comes together (laughs) we are joined now by the man himself he's known to some as the owner of primetime chicken in garfield new jersey but he's arguably even more notable as an exciting (laughs) and undefeated 130 pound contender chris primetime colbert chris happy fourth of july to you congratulations on an excellent win on saturday night and thank you so much for joining us on the showtime boxing podcast
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Happy Fourth of live to you guys too.
1: Thanks, Thanks man. Um, so you had to deal with a change of opponent with just a couple of weeks' notice when Yuriorkis Gamboa dropped out, and it was quite a change. Uh, Tug Niyambayar and Gamboa seemed to be really nothing alike in terms of the way they fight. Watching you on Saturday night, though, it didn't appear to be an issue for you. But but was it much of an adjustment?
2: Uh, to be honest, um, it really wasn't much of an adjustment. I'm, I'm, I, like I told, um, the media, um, I'm a human adapter. So <laughs> we got 12, we got, we got 12 rounds to do what we got to do. And if I can't figure somebody out in 12 rounds, then I don't need to be doing this. And, um, but, uh, Trump definitely came and brought whatever he had in his arsenal to try to get the victory come, um, past Saturday, but, uh, it didn't work, but, um, he was definitely a strong fighter, very tough competitor. You could tell he got experience.
1: Yeah one one thing I, I noticed in the fight was just that you didn't switch stances much. Uh, do you think we would have seen more of the southpaw style against Gamboa, or is that the switching? Is that something you just decide on the spot what you're going to do and what's working and what it isn't?
2: Is, to be honest, the switching is just like something that happened on the fly. It keeps mm-hmm. their mind
0: thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just mentioned how strong a, a guy uh, Nyam Bayar is. And he did tag you a couple times in the third round in particular. And that, that was honestly probably the only round he clearly won. But did he buzz you at all during that round? And was that third round, did you think, okay, maybe I need to change my my approach here a little bit?
2: Uh, no, he didn't really buzz me, but um, he's definitely strong. Like I said, um, for a 126 pounder, he'd carry a punch, he'd pack a punch for real. And um when he caught me with that right hand that I ran into, I told him in his ear when I got close and I hugged him. Um, like and it was in a in a break of an action, I, I grabbed him or he grabbed me one of the two. I told him in his ear, I told him, You won't you won't hit me with that again, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to stay away from that the whole night because I know that's all he really had was a right hand.
1: So um, so you, you call yourself uh, Primetime. Uh, Kieran introduced you as Primetime, Chris Colbert, uh, which I believe is a nod to Dion Sanders. Um, before that, uh, you were Lil B-Hop. Uh, I- I'm curious whether when you got into boxing, whether there were any boxers in particular that, that you looked up to and, and sought to emulate?
2: Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I looked up to Big me Floyd Mayweather was one of my favorite. um Sugar Ray Leonard mm-hmm. was one of my favorite. Chicago is my ultra overall favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, Roy Jones, I like Roy Jones. I just like the flashy, uh
0: gotcha.
2: Flashy stylistic guys, yeah. But like Deion Sanders is my overall favorite athlete. Ah, okay. Best athlete in my eyes, hands down. Hmm.
1: Okay. Um, but, and then the, the other nickname, the Lil B-Hop, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Bernard Hopkins necessarily fits as, as the, the flashy, um, uh, what,
2: what is it about Bernard well, Hopkins yeah. that you love? To be honest, they just ended up, they, I don't even remember how I got that name. It was just more oh. of a, wall, they said, oh, you look like B-Hop, or oh, you, or didn't you, oh, you, I mean, you fight like B-Hop with the style, like, you know, with the sticking out the tongue doing, like, easy. <laughs> Do anything to distract them, type of thing.
1: Right. So that that name was given to you. Primetime is a name that you chose more for yourself.
2: Yeah. Primetime fit me.
0: Right, right. <laughs> um, Eric and I were talking about your fight earlier. And, and I mentioned that I sense you're the kind of boxer who's only going to get better as your quality of opposition improves. You know, like you're already facing some yes. high-quality opposition. I don't want to be disrespectful to them, but, but you're cruising past them. Do you agree that we will truly see the best of Chris Colbert when you step it up another notch, when you're at that world title level?
2: For sure, definitely. This is just the beginning. Um, I'm still learning every day, learning more about myself. And I'm going to keep learning. The best, the best is yet to come. All right.
1: So um, one thing I want to talk about, um, you dyed your hair pink once to support breast cancer awareness. Uh, You dyed it orange for this fight in support of battling MS. And you came to the ring on Saturday night wearing an orange jumpsuit to advocate for prison reform. Um, Can you explain specifically what you feel needs to be addressed in that area? And, And more generally, just how important is it for you knowing that you have a platform to use that platform for good?
2: Uh, to be honest, I just you'd like to use my platform platform for better and uh, show the support to people that's out there playing too in other ways. And then um, the prison outfit was more of a for a gamble. I was going to, uh, because my, my goal was to knock him out cold and then they'd kill him. And, and then I would have to pay the course after and that's going to go to jail. So that's what I was going to do to him? Uh, so, but I ended up just keeping it anyways because it was I already chose the course first. Right. So I choose the course person then I match the outfit to go with. So. Okay.
1: All right. So the All the right. social issue was just kind of incidentally attached in this case. This was really about yeah, yeah. The, then putting I, on a show.
2: Yeah. And then I, because we entertainers, we get paid to entertain. So, and then uh, so once I picked the outfit, the prison outfit, you gotta always have a message to it, too, some way, somehow. So I had to put the message on the back about about the prison system how they gotcha. need to fix the prison system for the people that's in there you know what i'm saying bro?
0: right gotcha. you gotta
2: always have a message to everything you do
0: Gotcha. well look after a serious question we want to close here with a nice light-hearted one uh we noted at the top that you have opened a restaurant Primetime chicken um neither eric nor i eat chicken so is there any chance you could add a fried tofu sandwich to the menu just for us
2: just yes, yeah. whatever, whatever you <laughs> have ah, it. you're the best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did see you had a bo- a couple of boxing themed names on the menu there. I think it was the the Sugar Ray wings and the something was the a knockout yeah.
2: something. Knockout <laughs> Yeah, I'm adding some new stuff too. So. Okay. Nice.
0: So, so you're really like you don't just like own the place. You're really involved in in the restaurant.
2: Oh yeah, i will be working in it too.
0: Oh, cool. Awesome. All right, so if people you know go to Primetime Chicken, there's, there's the chance they will see yeah, primetime they, himself.
2: Yeah, they kept anything. The
0: Fantastic. All right. And also um, I, just, oh, I started as a football
2: team, a youth football team for the youth from my nice. neighborhood back in Flaboroughst in Brooklyn, 100 percent free, everything comes from my apartment, and I want to give back to the kids and keep them up the streets because a lot of kids are dying and getting in trouble. And they don't need to be in these streets. So that's my goal is just to help people and give back to my community.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, that's great, man. Thank you very much. To, it's good to hear that. Hey, look, Um, thank you for taking time to join us on 4th of July. Congratulations again for a terrific win. Congratulations as well for all the good you're doing. And we look forward to seeing you thank in the you, ring again appreciate. soon.
2: Thank you.
0: It is time now for our Tweet of the Week. I was struggling to find one this week, but thanks to you for leading me to one from our friend at TylerBox12. He's already snagged himself a Tweet of the Week recently, but hey, when you're good, you're good. So (laughs) there it is. Um, And his came in response to one from Henry Winkler. The Fonz himself, or more lately, Gene Cousineau, if you're a fan of Barry, which everybody should be, uh, who tweeted the other day that, quote, Uh, We are so divided as a country that only a cataclysmic event that makes us depend on one another again can bring us back together. Well, as plenty of people have pointed out, we live in a world and a time in which a global pandemic continues to rage. (laughs) People in the northwestern United States and western Canada are dropping dead from climate change induced heat waves. And the Gulf of Mexico is literally on fire. What other unifying event could there possibly be that we haven't had yet? Tyler knows, posting simply a, hmm, and a photo of Marcus Maidana cracking Adrian Bronner. (laughs) Ah, yes. If anything can bring the bulk of humanity together, it's the thought of the problem taking a massive right hand to the jaw.
1: Yeah, it's it's that's the perfect tweet uh, from, a, from a boxing fan's perspective as a quote retweet of the Henry Winkler tweet that went quite viral and generated a lot of discussion. And it was just a departure for Henry Winkler because I don't know if you've ever peeped his social media accounts before, but it's mostly just pictures of the fish he's caught and him smiling <laughs> wide as he holds up fish and general positive affirmations. He just seems such a happy, pleasant fellow. And I mean... Even including Tom Hanks, I'm not sure if there's anyone in Hollywood who people have as many nice things to say about as Henry Winkler. And so uh, it was strange to see him caught in even a hint of a firestorm (laughs) here. Uh, And that was not a play on the Gulf of Mexico being on fire, me using the word firestorm. But uh, yeah, (laughs) what what a uh, weird tweet to post at this particular time in human history. But at the same time. I don't know what the cataclysmic event might be, but we definitely do need something to unify us. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know what it could be. Broner losing is about as good an option as any.
0: (laughs) There you go. Your moment is here, Adrian. Yes. (laughs) Bring bring us all
1: together, Adrian, please. There you go.
0: All right. Um, not too many fights to look ahead to this week. Uh, in Australia, rising junior middleweight contender Tim Zhu had been scheduled to face Michael Zarafa, who's best known for dropping a decision to Kel Brook, splitting a pair of fights with Jeff Horn, and knocking out Anthony Mundine inside a round. But Zarafa withdrew with just a week's notice, citing COVID-19 situation in New South Wales, where the bout was scheduled to take place. Uh, Taking his place in Wednesday's bout will be youngster Steve Spark, who is 12-1 with 11 KOs. On Friday, DAZN will be streaming a nice-looking card uh, featuring uh, Gilberto Ramirez taking on Sullivan Barrera in a light heavyweight contest, and Joseph Diaz meeting Javier Fortuna at £135 in the co-main. Eric, any thoughts on either of those? quickly on
1: the Zoo situation, we're all ready to see him tested, and mm-hmm. I think after this fight, it's time to stop facing the best opposition Australia has to offer and yeah. go global. Steve Spark seems fine for a last-minute replacement, but still figures not to present much of a challenge. Sarafa's withdrawal looks questionable. The yeah. promoters seemed willing to bend over backward to make him feel COVID-safe. There are plenty of people surmising that he just wanted out of the fight, and this was the excuse he came up with. I don't know. But either way, Zoo should move on. No sense waiting around to reschedule with Sarafa. Uh, as for the Zone card, I like it a lot. Th- those are mm-hmm. both good fights, competitive on paper. We haven't decided yet if we're going to do a Money Punch episode later this week. Um, there aren't any huge fights. There aren't Showtime fights, and this card is on a Friday night, so... Kind of feels like it might be a pass, um, but when those odds come out, they might be close for both fights, mm-hmm. and there might be some betting opportunities, so we'll, we'll see. We might throw a quick money punch together after all. Um, Zerto is probably catching Barrera at the right time, but then again, Zerdo fought once in 2019, once in 2020. He's now 30 years old, which surprised me when that I looked that us. That happened fast. Up. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's some pressure on him to perform in this fight, to win, look good and get moving on testing himself against the elite. Uh, And Jojo Diaz versus Javier Fortuna is close to a toss-up. That's just a good, fun fight where I can't imagine it not being close and competitive. In case we don't do a money punch this week, uh, I'll just note that I'm interested to see the prices on the over on rounds and on picking one fighter or the other by decision if the price looks good. Mm. Uh, Or maybe this is even one where you throw a few bucks at a draw. There you go. All right, time for this week's news, and the main event is a change atop the August 14th Showtime Championship boxing card, which has unexpectedly led us back to the originally scheduled main event of that card. It was at first supposed to be Guillermo Rigondeau versus John riel Casamero, but after Nonito Donaire blew out Nordin Ubali to claim a bantamweight strap, an alphabet unification between Donaire and Casamero was hastily arranged with Rigondeau willingly moving to the undercard. But this past week, Donair pulled out under unusual and controversial circumstances. And now Rigo is back in against Casimiro. Uh, Kieran, what can you tell us about why Donair pulled out? What are others saying about it? And how much should we be applauding Rigando for not once but twice being so accommodating?
0: So if there have been rumblings. I we recorded last week's podcast that Donner was unhappy with Casemiro and, and publicly casting doubt over how likely it was to go forward. Um, and on Wednesday of this past week, he posted a note to social media in which he said that he was indeed withdrawing from the bout because, and I quote here, I stand for VADA 24, seven, 365 testing for all boxers. I stand against bullying in any form. I stand against the disrespect and abuse of women and children physically, mentally, and emotionally. I stand against misogynistic culture. Um, a recent article in the athletic by, Lance Pugmire expands on what went down. So, Victor Conti, who we know from being associated with the Balco scandal, uh, but now somewhat of a reformed figure in the world of PEDs, um, advised on air that Casemiro has been working with Memo Heredia, one of the more notorious figures in boxing, who is a former athlete and PED user who provided evidence on Conti to escape sanction back in the day. And he's since been associated with a number of boxers of whom some suspicions have been raised. Um, So Donaire's wife, Rachel, was volubly unhappy that Casemiro was seemingly taking time to sign up to Vata testing after Donaire had already done so. Casemiro's team, in turn, was upset at the at least perceived insinuation that the delay was to enable him to cycle off. Uh, So the situation really escalated when, according to Pugmire, Heredia actually sent a video to Rachel of him grabbing his testicles and saying, I've got your snack right here. Go snack on this, which is a play on words on Conti's company, which right. is S-N-A-C or snack. Um, and Casemiro is in the video laughing. Understandably, both deniers went ballistic and the California State Athletic Commission head Andy Foster called them and Casemiro and Casemiro's manager Sean Gibbons to a conference at which a contrite Gibbons apologized repeatedly, uh, all to no avail. As of Friday, when I asked Showtime for comment, I was told that, you know, the two fighters have signed contracts, we're planning on televising a card on August 14th. Obviously, since then, the situation has proven to be beyond repair, and it's very hard to blame the Donairs for that. Yeah. Um, although, of course, amid all of it, is the rumor that donaire could also have an eye on jumping straight into a rematch with Naoya Inoue, which Inoue's promoter Bob Arum has said he'd be willing to make. Um, so now we'll see if that's how things end up. The net result, as far as we're concerned, as you noted, is that we are at a status quo ante with <laughs> Rigando versus Casemiro. And yes, I, I I agree with what you're saying there. I feel like Rigondeau deserves a lot of credit here. Yep. He's a highly accomplished veteran. He's not some young prospect. He won't exactly be accustomed to being asked to move to the undercard and then move back. Uh, the fact that he's willing to do both, apparently without any hint of displeasure or acrimony, um, reflects well on him. I suspect he got something a little extra to encourage his cooperation. And if so, he's back where he started and with a little extra spending money. Yep, not bad. <laughs> Um, And, of course, as we touched on last week, Donaire Casemiro may not be the only fight in Jeopardy. Uh, We reported last week that Paradigm Sports is suing Manny Pacquiao and attempting to put a halt to his scheduled fight with Errol Spence. In response, Pacquiao this week issued a statement that, quote, Paradigm Sports lawsuit against me has no merit. I have an absolute right under the agreement with Paradigm to engage in the upcoming bout with Errol Spence. If this frivolous lawsuit continues, I will be proven correct in court. Um, A few other items on our news undercard. Uh, One man who does apparently have a fight of sorts scheduled is Deep Sigh. 55-year-old beyond-shot Riddick Bowe, who, according to TMZ, has decided he wants in on the geriatric exhibition craze and has signed with an outfit called Celebrity Boxing for a ring appearance in Miami on October 23rd. Um, Some better upcoming bout news. Matchroom has announced plans for some U.S. dates in coming months. They include an August 28th card featuring Dillian White at a site to be determined, And the really good news on October 16th card highlighted by the rubber match between Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. Uh, Also, uh, undefeated 122-pound contender Michael Conlon has a serious test. Uh, in the form of former TJ, uh, former titleist TJ Doheny, uh, perhaps best known for his terrific 2019 scrap with Danny Roman on August 6th in Falls Park, West Belfast, as part of the city's annual Fela and Pobale Festival. And Showtime has announced the lineup for its 20th anniversary event on July 23rd from the Heartland Advent Center in Grand Island, Nebraska. They they go the places, don't they? They go the best places, Showbox. (laughs) Uh, The three-fight card will feature six fighters with a combined record of 81 one and five uh the main events: these undefeated super middleweights calvin henderson and isaiah steen clash over 10 rounds well the co-main is a 10-round welterweight bout featuring uh, what's the name of that fighter i can't quite <laughs> pronounce you want to take a crack of that one Eric?
1: yeah let me see if i can figure this out it's uh janelson figueroa boca chica
0: There you go, against Charnard Bunch. And in the opener, featherweight Martino Jules meets uh, Arama Abagian over eight. Um, Please assess the previous news items. All right, I will start with Pacquiao Spence. I'm not a lawyer.
1: I don't play one on TV. I don't even play one on a (laughs) podcast. Uh, But reading through Paradigm's claim, it doesn't seem frivolous to me. Uh, Pacquiao has done this before in that he has trouble saying no and he lets multiple people represent him and then finds himself in the middle of a lawsuit over who has the rights to him. I would guess this gets settled out of court and the fight goes ahead, but it costs Pacquiao some money, maybe a lot of money. But again, I don't really know nothing. Uh, I just know, I just know <laughs> Paradigm's case looks legit to my amateur no. eyes. Uh, Riddick Bowe, the less said the better. I hope it's a very playful exhibition. I hope it's a show yes. and not a fight. Yes. Um, yes. That Showbox card sounds showboxy in a good way, uh, a fitting 20th anniversary show, real prospects, match tough, uh, and uh, no need for further analysis yet. We will have more to say about it in two weeks, but uh, 20 years, that is really impressive. They yeah. outlasted KO Nation by about 19 and a half years. <laughs> uh, well done there. Um, Conlon Doheny is an interesting fight on paper, and of course, Chocolatito Strap 3, bring it on perhaps they can challenge themselves for the 2021 fight of the year. Um, And hopefully the result of this fight will make it a little easier for me to figure out where to put one or both of them on my pound for pound list. Um, So that's all that stuff. But there is one last news item to mention a really sad one. Uh, We were just talking about Manny Pacquiao. Well, the man he defeated to make his name in America way back in 2001, uh, actually 20 years ago on June 23rd, uh, Lelo Ledwaba of South Africa, died of COVID last week at just 49 years of age. In his pro career, he was 36, 6, and 1 with 23 KOs and had a three-year reign as an alphabet title holder at 122 pounds. Kieran, comments on the life or untimely death
0: of Lelo Ledwaba? What a terrible, terrible shame. Um, Le was a hell of a fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time that he faced Pacquiao, not only had he held that title for a, for a while, nobody wanted to face him. He was a really, like, he, and the whole risk-reward thing, he was very much on the risk side of the equation. Um, and recall that Pacquiao himself was a late replacement opponent who'd only walked into the wildcard gym for the first time a few weeks right. before because Le couldn't find an opponent. Um you know, uh, but we all know what happened there, you know, even though Pacquiao was incredibly raw and left hand happy, um, he demonstrated the overpowering energy, power, and speed that he became so familiar, and Ludoaba just was not the same again. Um, he did bounce back to outpoint Viani Bungu in his next fight, but he dropped four of his final fights. Um, and his only win in that span was against a professional debutant. Uh, you mentioned he retired with 36-6-1 record. That was 33-1-1 one one until Pacquiao got to him. Right. Um, but more than that, he was a not-yet-50-year-old man with family and friends, and all of them will be mourning his passing. And uh, we send them our condolences and best wishes, and may Lola Duabo rest in peace. Yep. To conclude, it is time for me to answer last week's top five challenge, wherein you asked me to come up with a list of the top five cases of an old legend entering a fight as an underdog and emerging victorious against a younger favorite. How to define old or aged, or indeed legend, was up to me. The The rigid criteria were that the older fighter had to win and the younger fighter had to be the favorite. Um, the slight difficulty I had with one or two fights was determining whether the winner justified the label of legend as opposed to just old. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly subjective term, of course. Um, and a couple of the fights that I was looking at were decades ago. Uh, and I think it's even harder to judge whether contemporary fans and media considered a fighter legendary all those years back, especially as I suspect the term was not applied as liberally right. then as it is now, but you know, such is life, we go into it and, and we didn't specify were they legendary beforehand or legendary because of the win. <laughs> these are all the things that we think about with these top five. Lists. And and, and um, you're,
1: and you're now uh, jogging my memory on having listened to Bob Costas on a podcast a couple of years ago where uh, the host dared to use the word legend with him and he got into a whole diatribe about how people misuse the word. That in order to be legendary, uh, it's based on not being realistic. It's almost a fictional type thing. And to call mortal people legendary, that nobody deserves that. So uh, we'll, we'll ignore the yes. Bob Costas definition, that,
0: I suppose. That, yeah, that almost sounds like 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 almost the stereotype of a Bob Costas. <laughs> Bob Costas. I can yeah. I can definitely see him getting quite irate about that. <laughs> but so I will say, number five on my list would have been even higher. Had I not had slight doubts about the extent to which the winning older underdog was at the time considered a legend, although he might merit that appellation now. But here we go. Number five. We go all the way back to June 19th, 1936. Mm. Max Schmeling, KO-12, Joe Lewis. Was Schmeling an old legend? He was well known. He was certainly very popular. He was arguably a legend in his native Germany, but that was complicated by the fact that the Nazi authorities downplayed him prior to the Lewis fight for fear that he was going to lose to a black man and then significantly uh, overhyped him after the fight when he did defeat a black man. And he was feted by Goebbels and he even dined and watched the film of his win with Hitler himself. Although Schmeling apparently kept his distance from the Nazis. All that's by and by. What he definitely was coming into this was a former world heavyweight champion who at the age of 30, which was then considered about the same as 72 is considered now, was definitely considered a very faded force. And he was a 10 to 1 underdog coming into the undefeated contender Lewis, whom Ernest Hemingway had recently described as, quote, the most beautiful fighting machine I have ever seen. That he may well have been, but at that time Lewis was young and flawed, and Schmeling noticed his tendency to drop his left hand, a tendency he exploited ruthlessly, landing his right hand over that low left at will, battering Lewis, finally stopping him in 12. Two years later, of course, Lewis had another crack at him, knocked him out in the first, and went on to have a pretty damn good career himself. Yeah,
1: not not not
0: so bad that Joe
1: Lewis chap. He uh, he turned out okay. Interesting to that we kick it off with a fight that didn't even cross my mind. Uh, I've got I've got a list of uh, sixteen that I thought about, oh, wow. and and that w- uh, you know I, I I'm you know I've got my what would have been my five I think, and then just a bunch of uh, other ones that I'll throw out there if you don't get around to them. But this one didn't even cross my mind. But and you're but you're right. It really fits all the criteria except it fits the criteria like perfectly except maybe that question of was smelling a full-on legend yet and i guess he wasn't quite as old as pretty much all of the old guys who are on right. my list um so it feels a little borderline now that you've planted the seed to think about this i'm feeling like this wouldn't have made my top five but was worthy of consideration
0: all right number four i don't think there's much doubting the legendary status of the winner here june 16th 1983, Roberto Duran TKO8 Davy Moore. Uh, Duran turned 32 on the day this fight took place at Madison Square Garden for Moore's 154-pound belt. Uh, Duran, in recent years, had beaten and lost to Sugar Ray Leonard, and after that loss, as we discussed at quite some length in the King's mini-pods recently, briefly entered what seemed like a seemingly terminal. Decline, dropping decisions to Wilfred Benitez, acceptable, and Kirkland Lang, which was a real shock. Before bouncing back with a win over Pepino Cuevas, he entered the ring with a record of 76 and four against Moore's 12 and 0. Moore, making the fourth defense of his title, was a five to two favorite, but Duran dominated and brutalized him over eight rounds. Uh, Duran, of course, would fight on for another 18 years for various degrees of success. Moore, though, was never the same again. He rebounded to knock out Benitez. But his record had slumped to 18-5 and when he suffered a tragic death in 1988, age just 30. This is
1: fascinating. You are two for two on fights I did not even jot down, although at least this one did cross my mind. Um, But this is not a spoiler, I suppose, to mention Duran Barkley now because it was the the spoiler that was sort of thrown out there in the asking of the question uh, last week as the example that the uh, person who sent it in to me included. So – I was so fixated on Duran Barkley as a a perfect example of this for Duran. And maybe that's coming up later on your list. Maybe it isn't. But I was so fixated on that as a perfect example with Duran being several years older that I didn't even jot down Duran more. But it certainly does fit. It it is a good one.
0: Uh, There's no questioning the legendary status of the winner in number three either. Uh, May 1st, 1957. Sugar Ray Robinson KO5 Gene Fulmer. Uh, Robinson was 35 years old at this point. Um, He had retired in 1952 for more than two years after failing to add Joey Maxim's light heavyweight title uh, to his resume. Uh, He came back in 55 as a middleweight, lost his second comeback fight, uh, reeled off five wins before running into big, strong Gene Fulmer, who was 10 years his junior, losing a 15-round decision during which Fulmer knocked him out of the ring. Um, But on May 1st, 1957, they met again. Uh, At that point, Robinson's record was a middling 140 wins, five defeats and two draws, while Fulmer's was 40 and three. And particularly after losing that first fight, uh, Robinson was a big underdog. uh, And for three rounds, he looked like it, really having a hard time dealing with the immensely strong Fulmer before he came to life in the fourth. And then in the fifth landed what has been called the perfect punch. Mm fainting with his right hand, landing a crisp left hook that knocked Fulmer down and out. Uh, The two would fight twice more, Fulmer winning each time. This was the only time in his 64-fight career that Fulmer was counted out.
1: So this one is in a group of honorable mentions that I had that I sort of set aside, and I'll get into the other ones uh, at some point here in this discussion, but I set aside as these are old-time fights that I'm not actually sure what the odds were and so I, I wasn't sure on this one whether Robinson was considered an underdog coming into this. I know he had lost the first fight. And so in theory, he should have been. But sometimes the legendary fighter gets the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you actually found something that said he was an I underdog. I did. He said he was okay. about a 3-to-1 dog. Okay. All right. Then, the, then, then that's good. I just wasn't sure. So I put this in that category of it fits pretty well if indeed Robinson was an underdog, which I wasn't sure. So now that if indeed he was a 3-to-1
0: dog, then yeah, this, this is a real strong one. All right. Number two, October 30th, 1974, Muhammad Ali, KO8, George Foreman. And Foreman came into this fight looking invincible. At age 25, he'd already compiled a record of 40-0 with 37 KOs. He'd been champion ever since knocking down Joe Frazier six times in two rounds, and then also stopped Ken Norton in two. And those two men, of course... the only ones to hold victories over ali who entered the bout with a record of 44 and 2 was age 32 and of course had not been champion for seven years being stripped of his title and unjustly banned from the sport for three and a half years coming back losing to frazier in the fight of the century losing to norton and getting his jaw broke he was a big underdog and in fact plenty fear for ali's life but we all know what happened next ali boom rope-a-dope foreman tumbling face first to the canvas And my favorite of all the commentary for this, the British commentator, Harry Carpenter exclaiming, Oh my God, he's won the title again at age 32.
1: (laughs) So your number two is my number two. Um, I I had this in the exact same spot. And I feel like if Ali was a little older, this would be my number one. Uh, But 32 is, it's old and it was old for a fighter in the seventies, but it's not quite ancient. Um, But Uh, 1974, George Foreman, that is the most lion-like young lion uh, that that any old legend on my list uh, turned away. He is the the perfect description of, of the young lion. So, yeah, this is a
0: great choice. But never mind, George, 20 years later, 20 years and six days later, I should say. You get to be on the winning side of the old legend versus young favorite ledger. And that gets you number one on my list. November 5th, 1994, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. 45-year-old foreman and 26-year-old Michael Mora, who surprisingly, as far as I can tell, was only a three-to-one favorite. That seems quite, I dare say, there are were, there were quite a lot of sentimental uh, bets coming in for Big George. Uh, met for Mora's heavyweight title. And after losing eight of the nine, first nine rounds, foreman landed a short left-right, bloodied Mora's mouth, dropped him to his back. It happened. It (laughs) happened. Yeah, so this is is in my
1: top five, but it wasn't my number one. I I had this one at number four, and I felt like it would be in contention for number one if Moore was more Um, lion-like. But, you know, him becoming heavyweight champ was a bit of a surprise. He was clearly a flawed and vulnerable champion. Um, So this one fits the bill in many ways, but isn't quite fitting it all to a T in that regard but certainly this is the widest age gap of any fight i considered 45 beating 26
0: yeah uh, i i jotted down quite a few other i suspect judging from your list there are tons and tons <laughs> that i've missed um i think partly because we'd flagged it uh, when discussing it last week, I didn't put this on the list. You've already talked about it. It is in my honorable mention list. You have to mention, uh, Duran's 1989 win at age 37 over Iran Barkley. Absolutely. I put another of the four Kings on the honorable mention list too. uh, Thomas Hearns was an old 33 and way mm. over his best fighting weight when he outpointed, uh, then undefeated Virgil Hill in 1991. Um, you could pick any number of Bernard Hopkins wins, um, from the latter part of his career, uh, And I guess, you know, I put all of these as honorable mentions because, you know, the Felix Trinidad win was in many respects the biggest win and perhaps the one in which he was the biggest underdog. But by his standards, he was relatively spry (laughs) um, at at that point. And had he achieved the legendary status then or was it beating Trinidad that really launched him into legendary status? You could also put the Antonio Tarver fight, I think, because he was moving up to light heavyweight. And I think Tarver coming off the Jones fights was favored there. Maybe especially the Kelly Pavlik one, which I, in hindsight, I think is one of the worst predictions I ever made. I picked Pavlik (laughs) to beat Hopkins in this fight. And in hindsight, that just seems a terrible, terrible idea. Um, And then I had some other fights that came to my mind, which I just really stretched the definition of legendary a bit. But I just thought were quite interesting Um, uh, fights that sort of certainly fitted the description of the older guy beating the younger guy. Uh, Daniel Zaragoza hanging the first L on the record of my friend Wayne McCulloch. Mm-hmm. Michael Carbajal capping his career with the win over Jorge Arce. Yep. Mark Johnson beating Fernando Montiel. Yeah, maybe from just a few weeks ago, Nanito Donaire overcoming Nordin Ubali, although I'm not sure Ubali counts as a lion either. Uh, I know that you're going to embarrass me with at least a dozen that I haven't <laughs> jotted down here now.
1: Um, so you've mentioned most of mine, I guess. There are, there are definitely some you left out. So. My number one is one that you just mentioned as something you sort of flirted with, but barely. And that's, for me, Hopkins Pavlik is the perfect Mm -hmm. example of this. 43 Mm -hmm. years old versus 26. And you're right that your prediction, which was also my prediction, which was that Pavlik was— a lot of people thought not only is Pavlik going to win this fight, but he's going to be the guy who beats Bernard up and sends him into retirement— Pavlik was really highly regarded coming into yeah. this. Um, he didn't ultimately go down as one of the greats, but um, this was a pretty big upset in the moment. And and Bernard was so utterly dominant that to me this was the perfect example of the old legend beats the young lion. Uh, I I had Duran Barkley as as my number three, and one you didn't mention that I had as my number five, Larry Holmes against Ray Mercer, um, oh, which is yes. you know less less heralded than Foreman Moore for obvious reasons, but maybe an equally impressive victory for an Mm. old heavyweight who wasn't Mm. expected to have much of a chance another one you didn't mention that i had right on the borderline of my top five Shane Mosley over Antonio Margarito. Um,
0: oh, excellent one. Yeah.
1: yeah. Mosley was 37, and I don't think anyone thought he was washed, yep, no, but, you know, excellent. fading. Um, yep. You mentioned a bunch that I grouped together as the modern-era little guys fights. Uh, Carbajal Arce, Johnson, Montiel, Zaragoza, McCullough. Those are all good. Um, you mentioned Hearns and Hill I had. This one is sort of borderline, but holyfield Rachman, It was like the ah. one one good win of Holyfield's late stage of his career where he was an underdog, but the ending was a bit inconclusive with the giant hematoma from, from a head clash right, ending it. Right. And then I have the, a few others here that um, I mentioned the category of, I'm not sure if they were an underdog one where the guy actually wasn't an underdog. So it doesn't qualify is Ali Spinks too. Ali was favored right after losing right. the first fight. That yeah. Myself. So yeah. that one doesn't work. Lewis Walcott, too. I'm not sure what the odds were. Lewis yeah. had gotten a BS decision in their first fight uh, and then came back and did knock him out in the in the second fight. Uh, probably Lewis was favored because he was Joe Lewis, but I'm not sure. You mentioned Robinson Fulmer, too. Robinson Basilio, too, also uh, mm. could be lumped in with that. Again, I'm not sure if Robinson was the underdog. And the last one here, a recent one that doesn't quite fit because of the odds on the fight. Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman.
0: That's the only reason I left it out was the odds. I actually double-checked to see what the odds were. It was interesting because Manny
1: opened as a small underdog, but closed as a small favorite, which uh, ties in with our Money Punch discussion last week that people like to bet on Manny Pacquiao. And in this case, they were rewarded if they did.
0: Yeah, but no, I actually got to the point of assuming I was going to include that somewhere. And then looked up the odds and i'm like oh wow really (laughs) so yeah that was the only reason so that was interesting i think we've had that was the list on which we've probably had the most divergence yeah I
1: I, i would say so we were we had basically two two in common and then we were all over the place on the others yeah
0: yeah interesting and i think partly that's the looseness perhaps of the criteria and partly also just well i mean it's a wealth of of boxing history that <laughs> the one to dive yes. into there really I think so yep. a, a lot of the ones I came up with were not even remotely in my head until I actually sat down and thought about it so right all right uh, that will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Rask and Mulvaney uh, we will be back next Monday to preview the July 17th Showtime Championship Boxing Card headlined by Jamel Charlo's mouthwatering junior middleweight clash with Brian Castanio and we may be back uh, on Friday with a money punch as Eric noted uh, until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and be well.